0: Welcome to another edition of the Hawk Off the Press podcast. I'm your host, Gazette Hawkeyes reporter, John Steppe. I'll get to your reader question or listener questions a little bit later. But first, excited to welcome Matt Wenzel from M Live covering Michigan State. Matt, thanks for joining me. No problem, John. Glad to be here. So oftentimes I'll ask opposing beat writers first about the offense or something like that. You've got a few other things going on right now in East Lansing. As we record this Wednesday late afternoon, what's the kind of latest on the Mel Tucker firing situation?
1: Well, it became official this afternoon, um, capping eighteen days of interesting uh, news. I would say uh, since the you know the USA Today report came out first, outlining allegations against Mel by Brenda Tracy, he was suspended without pay on September tenth by the athletic director Alan Haller. Harlan Barnett was named um, acting head coach. He is now the interim head coach, if you are into titles. But they sent notice last week of the intent to fire him. He had seven days to respond. He responded Monday through his lawyers, and they officially fired him today. So basically, you know, he was never going to coach another game once, once the allegations came out through his own admissions in those allegations. And now basically it's just a a legal dispute with the more than or the roughly 80 million dollars left on a a 10-year extension he signed less than two years ago which is absolutely stunning so that'll be up to the lawyers and and whether they're gonna you know fight it tooth and nail to to not pay a dime or come up with a settlement but the mel tucker era is officially over and 34 games and 20 wins later and that's that's it. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it, it's over. And then there'll be a coaching search, obviously. And uh, there's a program that's obviously in a lot of tor- turmoil. You got what, you know, big storylines to watch will be Mel's firing automatically triggers a 30 day window for the portal opening starting. It'll be Thursday, uh, the 28th. And whether how many players are going to hop in, how many players who are eligible to take a red shirt for a year still that, uh, by not, you know, will choose to sit out by playing in, in not more than four games. And they're already at the four game mark for the season. And a lot of those guys and some of those guys who have that opportunity will have to decide whether they want to keep going or, or not waste the rest or not spend the rest of the year, um, of eligibility as part of this team.
0: So is there, I guess that means you could have the possibility that a bunch of key players that have been on this team might all of a sudden not play then with that transfer window, obviously early here without that window being open quite yet.
1: Yeah, I mean, starting tomorrow, you know, guys hop in the portal. Mel had the really unusual stance of allowing guys who went in the portal to continue practicing with the team. They even some of them even played in the peach bowl to cap the 2021 season. Now, these weren't guys that were, you know, prominent players they were relying on. But I have a feeling Harlan Barnett's approach is going to be vastly different. That uh, I would assume he hasn't spelled it out yet, but I would assume it's a in or out type of situation. So yeah, that's certainly something to watch. And then obviously the guys who choose not to play, I mean, who who makes the trip to, to, Iowa city on Saturday is going to be really interesting to watch. Some of the guys, you know, if you got, if you guys are in their last year of eligibility, you know, they're, you know, they don't have the opportunity to, to use a one-time trip. Uh, you know, there are guys that will stick this out. Um, basically because they don't really have a better choice, but there are a lot of players that have to evaluate their options and, and it'll be real interesting to see, you know, who's available on Saturday, both injury wise, because they have problems there. And then just, are they still part of the program?
0: And then from the football itself standpoint, with those caveats there, quarterback Noah Kim, how has that worked out now is with him as a starter? Um,
1: okay to start, not so good. When uh, the competition becomes a power five, Noah, you know, he he's a D'Antonio recruit, and, you know, he spent three years learning the system, waiting waiting his turn. He was the backup last year. And, you know, Peyton Thorne hits the portal at, uh, after spring practice this year, goes to Auburn. Noah Kim beats out uh, redshirt freshman, Kate and Hauser and true freshman Sam Levitt for the job. You know, obviously the most experienced quarterback on the roster, but that wasn't, that wasn't saying much. He had only played what, 36, 38 snaps last year, I believe, you know, mostly in mop up duty or low pressure situations. And, um, yeah, he, I mean, he got off to a slow start in the the opener against Central, and kind of similar the following week against Richmond, but he, he responded well, he was he was the Big Ten offensive player of the week uh, after the win against Richmond, and then, you know, Washington comes to town, and he, you know, he can't take the blame on, on that, nothing went right for Michigan State that day, they could have had Joe Montana, prime Joe Montana back there, or Tom Brady or whatever, and they are not, not winning that game, Washington was it was a pick your score game for Washington last week was, was, that was where the real concerns came. You know, he, 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 he's mixing, he mixed in some good passes, some balls in the money with just really poor throws. He's picked off twice, could have been four times, you know, his receivers didn't do him a ton of favors. There were some, some blatant drops, but he also had some clear misses. And then, despite that they still had a chance in the fourth quarter. And, and, you know, after back-to-back three and outs, Kate Hauser gets on goes in the game and he, and he takes them down the field and, you know, they're inside the the, the 10 and with a chance to make it a one score game. And he promptly airmails mails uh, running back Nathan Carter on screen and it's picked off. And basically that's the game. And then Sam Levitt gets in there for the last series in mop-up duty. So Harlan had said multiple times, he's, he's sticking with Noah for now. And, understandable and I don't know that I mean this will be the first road start for for Noah I don't know that and and that'll be tough but I don't know that turning to one of these the younger two guys asking them to make their first start on the road at night at Kinnick is a great idea I just would have to imagine the leash is going to be really short it's it's this is the time you know where you really got to figure out who is our guy moving forward if he struggles early that I would I would imagine they, they, they will pull him and just see what they've got. Because at this point in time, what do you got to lose? You know, you're also trying to, you're trying to keep players happy, you know, guys that, that want to, you know, if if you have a guy that you want to keep and he's younger, like, like these two four star former four star quarterbacks are in, in Hauser and Levitt, they're both from the West coast. They don't, they don't have any connections. You know, they came here to play for Mel Tucker. He's gone. And so if you think one of those guys has a, the higher upside in, in the future, then, I mean, it's it's time to start figuring that out. And then that applies across the board. That's, that's the whole roster.
0: And then it seems like Nathan Carter has been a solid addition for them out of the portal at running back.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, any running back Michigan State picks up is going to have the unfortunate, um, I don't know, burden, but – there's no, there's never going to be another Kenneth Walker. That was a jackpot one time, once in a lifetime. I mean, you don't even, like there are high profile guys that go in the portal and you know what you're getting, you know, the big names, Kenneth Walker had never even started a game at Wake Forest. And then he was arguably the best co- player in college football in, in 2021, they've signed two running back transfers each of the last three seasons. Carter was, you know, one of them, the, this offseason, joined the team in the winter you know, he he played at UConn and shown some flashes, but you know, nothing really established. He just thought he could play at a higher level, and, and Michigan State identified him and thought he was a guy. And he has shown some some good flashes. You know, he's if if situation had been different last week, he would have posted his third hundred-yard game in, in, in four outings for Michigan State. So he runs hard, he's got some elusiveness, some shiftiness, um, uh, which they were lacking last year. So he he's been a plus, but you know there's been offensive line problems and and injuries at the position because Jalen Berger, who was their starter and leading rusher last year, he was injured uh, against Richmond, lower leg, shin, whatever. He hasn't played since uh, Jaron Mangum, who's a running back transfer from um, <clears throat> excuse me South Florida slash Colorado. He's a bigger guy that they thought would help him a lot. He hasn't played yet due to injury. It's unclear whether those guys will be and. So basically, they're riding with one guy they can trust, and that is not that is not an ideal way to go through a Big Ten football season. So, they had in the in the Richmond game, they wanted to get, you know, guys on their touches, and they bring in uh, Jordan Simmons and Davion Prim, who are the only scholarship backups available, and, and each of them fumbled. So uh, Nathan Carter got all but one carry last week, then went to a running back. So that's that's tough. So they 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 really need some help in that situation, but they
0: like what they have in, in, in Carter. I'm sure some Iowa fans, their ears kind of caught the offensive line issues because Iowa's had some issues in terms of getting pressure to the quarterback in their first four games. Is this an opportunity for Iowa to apply some pressure? Is it more so pass blocking, run blocking, any particular part of the line that's been problematic for the Spartans?
1: Yeah, I mean the the inability to get tough yards has been a constant for them you know without walker and you would come. i mean it feels like you're watching the same movie over and over you know fourth and one or third and one whatever whatever it's these short yardage situations and they'll be lining up in shotgun running some sort of and you're like well, they they have to their credit and the, recently the last couple of games they've twice used this play where Kim will line up under center and they'll use a tight end in motion Who, you know, gets behind him and you know, push him For the first down, you know, that's So well, they've got that going for him, but um, Yeah, I mean They have an offensive line that returned Three full-time starters, you know There's there's some, they got a Their they're starting right guard was out last week And they've been mixing in They've been rotating at, at both tackle spots With some younger guys Coming in, and well One younger guy and one Juco transfer But they've it hasn't been great. Um, and then, pass pro has been well, it's been okay. You know, Kim's he's elusive, but last week he was under he was under last well, the last two weeks he was under pressure. So that could certainly use some improvement. And uh, just like every other facet of of the game for
0: them, defensively, coming off a couple big scoring outbursts by opposing teams. How would you kind of describe the state of this defense and where are those strengths there? If there are any.
1: Um. Yeah. The, I mean, the, you, going into the season, they thought their defensive line was going to be really something, you know, they, they went into the portal heavy, you know, there's a lot of turnover there and they had some, you know, some, they were real looked really strong at tackle with between the returners and the portal additions and was a little bit more uncertain. Um. And so far,
0: eh,
1: like they they had it's like a repeat of last year. Uh, they had ten sacks in the first two games combined. They've got zero since. They're not getting any. They 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 got no pressure on Penix. They didn't get a finger on him. Oh, maybe one finger on him. But um, they they were better last week in, in moving um, uh, Tua. I, I it's been three years and I still cannot pronounce his name. I'm an idiot. <laughs> um, they got got did a better job moving him off the spot, but again, no sacks. So, and there've been times where they haven't, I mean, this is supposed to be a traditionally strong run defense and there are times where they've, they've struggled in that regard as well. So defensive line and, and there's, and they're dealing with injuries up, up front too. So yeah. um, Yeah. It just got great. Uh, you can't, you can't have a repeat of last year where, where you come out, blazing with all of, you know, getting all this pressure and then it just dries up and you're letting guys to have time to find, go through the reads, find open receivers and, and, and pick them apart with a very young secondary.
0: You were mentioning a young secondary. Terry Roberts is a name that was on that roster, familiar to Iowa fans. He's no longer with the program though, right? No,
1: um, still don't know what exactly happened there. That was, uh, they were, they were trying to pick up a veteran corner, actually a couple in the offseason through the portal. They landed one from TCU for about five seconds, and then he flipped to Arkansas. And then they they got Roberts late in the process and he joins But well, I remember, but it's summer. Like it's all kind of a blur now and then Right before the uh, the uh, season opener, um, a program spokesman comes in and is like, "Oh yeah, he's no longer on the roster, not part of the team." So, still don't know what happened there, but um, we never saw him, so that's it. But I, I, and honestly, right now, I don't, I don't think that makes a difference. But At this point, they'd be going. with – I mean, it would help to have some some veteran depth, but they're going with youth, uh, and they have been since since the start of the year they got a true freshman who started a corner next to a, uh, a true sophomore last week. And so that's kind of where they're at. And, and, and safety is, is young as well.
0: How have they – that sounds kind of like the opposite of Iowa sometimes with kind of their very experienced defense. How have those younger players fared so far? Uh,
1: you know, I mean, it's tough hitting this. Uh, the primary – well, so they, they opened the year with um, – Charles Brantley and Dylan Tatum is the starting corners. Brantley's a veteran guy. Tatum's a, you know, second year guy. He bounced all over the defense last year as a true freshman. And, you know, okay. And, and I mean, nobody played well against Washington, but Michael Penix is a, ooh, that's a, that's a tough matchup. But I, I think when you look at a couple guys in particular, um, in uh, Chance Rucker, he's a, he's a true freshman corner. He got his first start last week and Maryland went after him plenty, and I thought he played pretty well. I mean, I, he gave up – was it like something like five catches on nine targets, but it was limited yards, and, and he, had, he had two pass breakups, including a nice one in the end zone. So for a true freshman going out there, I, I thought he I thought he held his own to, at the very least. They like what they've got. We'll see if he sticks around. And then the other big one to watch um, would be Jordan Hall. He's a four-star linebacker from, from IMG. I mean, this guy is – he walks in the door day one, and, and you're talking to him in whatever first time, and you're like, this guy has multi-year captain written all, all over him. And he was a three-year captain at IMG, the, the first to ever do that. Very smart, very good young player, and, and he made his first start last week. Another guy who is now – he's now up to four games, so – begs the question. Um, but he is – I mean, he's a guy that – I mean, he absolutely – future of the, of the defense, future linebacker. He's a guy that they really like, and he, and he's shown some bright spots at times and they
0: he's definitely somebody they, they would like to like to keep around to say the least. And then I think it'd be remiss for me in a Iowa, Michigan state preview to not bring up punting because last year, that was such a good spot for Michigan state with Behringer. What's the punting situation here for Michigan state?
1: they don't have Bryce Beringer anymore. That's, that's (laughs) the situation. Um, Yeah. I mean, he was, I mean, not to revisit his whole story, which is remarkable and and, obviously a ton of credit to Bryce for sticking it out. And it's amazing what he, what he was able to achieve in in the situation he was in, but yeah, they they obviously miss him. They knew they were going to miss him. They, they had two, they, well, they had one returner in the position at Ryan Eckley. Um, he had punted once last year for, yeah, he had punted once as a true freshman walk-on last year. And then they added Michael Shaughnessy, a grad transfer from Ohio state who, but he'd only had one punt during his entire career with the Buckeyes. So they have both punted so far. There hadn't really been a glaring problem that I can recall, but last week, Oh, Shaughnessy had one. They were pin, they were punting out of the red zone. He had a poor punt. It was a poor punt to start with. And then it took a, you know big bounce back you know 22 yard punt is, is what the net was so that's obviously not something you can do um they also gave up a fake uh run for a first down on on a fake punt by by Maryland so special teams i mean they they have made a field goal a couple i believe now so they got that going for them uh Jonathan Kim they were just absolutely atrocious in the field goal game last last year and they reset at the position and they they went in the season with no with nobody on the roster who had made a field goal at the college level. But Jonathan Kim transferred from uh Grant transfer from North Carolina, had been a kickoff specialist, big leg. Um, he's is he two for three or something this year? I can't even remember, but he he had made one last week and had one that was low that was blocked. But so yeah, <laughs> I mean, ever there if you can think of an area, there's there's concerns there for Michigan State.
0: Well, still a little early in the week, but do you have a score prediction yet? Uh, you know, I have uh my colleague
1: who puts together our big ten picks every week. I was late today submitting them and I for obvious reasons, I, I'm <laughs> always uh I always fly through it really quickly. Um I don't really care what my record is in picks. Um let's see, I picked uh, 24 to 10 iowa is what i what i went with i don't even remember <laughs> <laughs> honestly most of the time after i do it so uh that's
0: that's the very very rapid pick that i that i made uh about an hour ago not too different from mine of 20 to 6 although now that you mentioned that with the field goal kicking we'll see about whether that'd be two field goals or a touchdown and a missed p.a.t
1: yeah yeah well i think- missed a uh, two-point conversion last week so you can get six that way as well always an opportunity so yeah I I'm I don't know I don't see it being a high scoring game but then again you know I was there in 2020 when they put up 49 on on Michigan State so who knows well Matt thanks for
0: joining me yeah no problem have a, well see you Saturday I guess switching gears now to the mailbag portion of the podcast thanks to everyone for sending in great questions. A bunch of questions surrounded the injuries to Caleb Johnson and Jazzy and Patterson with what we know now and the situation in terms of how are the running backs that they have remaining. So as of right now, Caleb Johnson and Jazzy and Patterson both out with lower leg injuries for this game against Michigan state. Kirk has repeatedly described it as a week to week injury. So what that means for Purdue a week from now, Wisconsin two weeks from now, so on and so forth, remains to be seen. Obviously, it's never ideal when you're without your first, well, certainly your first string running back with Caleb Johnson. And then you kind of have 2A and 2B with LaShawn Williams and Jazzy and Patterson. But no matter how you slice up that depth chart, And it rotates, too, in terms of sometimes one guy will have a bigger lion's share of the carries than another. But regardless of how you slice it, you're talking about two of your top three running backs out. That's certainly not ideal. I think that was on display in the game against Penn State. Well, a lot of things were on display in the game against Penn State. So that is the current status of them in terms of where that leaves Iowa. A lot of LaShawn Williams, he's the one experienced guy that Iowa has right now in that running back room. I should say experienced from a game action standpoint. And then we'll probably see more of Kamari Moulton and Terrell Washington, the two true freshmen from this 2023 recruiting class. They showed what they can do against Western Michigan. Then Penn State was Penn State. As those guys get a little more development time, I'll be curious to see what they can do and how quickly can they contribute to this Iowa offense. And then that's a good segue into a question about Iowa being tight-lipped on the injury situation. I would say it's probably more than just an Iowa thing. I think you look across the country and there are places that are even more tight-lipped than Iowa on injuries. So it's kind of just the nature of college football being tight-lipped on injuries. I think the Big Ten availability reports is really a step in the right direction. I understand that they're not going to say, okay, it's a this particular cartilage in the knee necessarily. But even if it was so-and-so knee or so-and-so ankle, I think that'd be a great next step. But certainly the availability reports have helped in terms of knowing a definitive list of who's out, who's questionable in terms of a competitive advantage. I think that's one of the reasons that kind of gets assumed for being secretive or maybe one of the perceived benefits of being secretive. I don't think it really helps that much. I don't think Wisconsin is right now thinking, oh man, is Caleb Johnson going to be available in two weeks? They've got another couple of opponents there to worry about first. Then somebody asked why they aren't sold on Cade McNamara yet. Well, he hasn't really given you many reasons to be sold on him yet. When you look at his numbers so far as a Hawkeye, it's a far cry from what people saw him do at Michigan. People saw the big 10 championship game where he looked excellent. And you saw why Michigan was a college football playoff team that year. But with a little under 51%, 50.6% for those being precise, with about 51% of passes completed this season. That's certainly not where Cade would like those numbers to be. Certainly not where Iowa needs those numbers to be, to be an effective team. And coming off back-to-back games, Cade is where he completed less than half of his passes. So those are definitely things To be concerned about, especially when, okay, one of those games is against Penn State at Penn State, a very tough environment there. But before that, you had Western Michigan at home, and he throws two interceptions in that game. In his 14 passes against Penn State, there's one that I can think of right off the top of my head that he overthrew Nico Ragaini, and that could have been intercepted as well. So, of course, every quarterback has those almost interceptions. So you can't really hold that too much against him. But yeah, these results have not been what I think Iowa fans have been expecting. I don't think it's what Cade McNamara has been expecting. I don't think it's what the Iowa coaches have been expecting by any means. Really improving that is going to be crucial because you don't need to have the Heisman winner at quarterback to be successful at Iowa with the way that Iowa plays. You don't need Cade to be a miracle worker, but you do need him to be able to set up his teammates, set up his wide receivers. So it's certainly something to be concerned about, but of course, Iowa does have the benefit of a much easier schedule than Penn State. But then again, you'd say Utah State and Western Michigan were easier games. The rest of the schedule is not quite that easy, and that also is factored into that 50.6 percent completion rate so it's certainly something to monitor a couple questions about joe the right now has been the third string quarterback at iowa but performed admirably in the music city bowl despite not getting the first team and second team reps during the 2022 regular season he goes into the music city bowl game prep learns quickly and Wasn't perfect. I think he'd like to have that last drive back, but he didn't make any critical mistakes and was really doing everything that you could ask for, for somebody under those very challenging circumstances. So in terms of is he hurt, current answer is no, he has not been listed as out or questionable for any of Iowa's four games. He was hurt during fall camp. But he returned, his injury predated Cade McNamara's fall camp injury. But in terms of from a recovery standpoint, he returned to practice around a similar time that Cade did both before week one. So he's available. We haven't seen him yet. Iowa has gone to Deacon Hill when Cade McNamara has not played. But when you look at what Joe was able to do in the Music City Bowl with a offensive line that looks very similar to the one that iowa currently has right now that's certainly an option where if you need to go down the depth chart he would be a guy who has been in there when the bullets are flying of course it's no surprise now i'm talking about that mostly in fourth quarter situations it's no surprise that if you're iowa you're going to give Cade McNamara, the former All-Big Ten, I believe third-team All-Big Ten quarterback, you're going to give him the benefit of the doubt. And when you have a guy that's been a proven winner in the Big Ten, yeah, it's no surprise. Don't take this as, this is not me calling for anybody to be benched here. But if injuries or whatever else happens where they do need to go down the depth chart at quarterback, Labus is certainly, I think, a strong option from what we've seen publicly. Of course, there's other things that happen behind the you know inside practice that we just don't see on a regular basis. These coaches are making these decisions, seeing these guys every day in practice. We get only a couple of glimpses. So there's a lot that could be going into that, but Joe certainly has shown that he can be a capable leader of this offense. And then on um, regarding the lack of wide receiver production, a question about will quick passes at or one yard behind the line of scrimmage be used be used to give the speedy wide receivers a chance for yards after the catch or some other ways to get them more much more involved that's hard to know exactly what Iowa is going to do that is something that, Brian Ferentz is that kind of falls under his responsibility as offensive coordinator. We don't get to talk to the offensive coordinators on a regular basis. We last talked to Brian Ferentz. It was Iowa media day back. I'm not going to try to do the math off the top of my head on how many weeks ago, but that was mid to early August that we last talked to him. Probably we'll get to talk to him again during the bowl game, probably at some point on zoom because we rotate through assistant coaches every Wednesday that we get. So we'll see what Brian Ferentz has up his sleeve in terms of how to get wide receivers more involved. You hope that he is trying to get wide receivers more involved because that is a critical thing for this Iowa offense, both short-term and long-term short-term okay, if you have these wide receivers that are not going to be getting the ball or not getting good looks too, where I was mentioning the almost interception intended for Nico, if you're throwing to them, but the throws for whatever reason aren't very accurate or the odds of that actually getting to be a catchable spot, then it doesn't really matter that much how much you're targeting them. But if, bottom line here, if the wide receivers are not active threats on this offense defenses can cheat a lot they can put more guys in the box they can put more energy toward covering tight ends like Eric Hall who I'm sure well, we've already seen that he is going to get a good a healthy number of targets especially with Luke Lachey out and especially with Cade McNamara's chemistry with Eric Hall over the years from their time at Michigan and their time as roommates at one point at Michigan as well. Question overall about the offense and is Iowa going to have one? The results haven't been great, that's for sure. I don't think that's a newsflash to anybody tuning into this. I asked Kirk Ferentz what can realistically be done to right the ship mid-season because he... Well, it's kind of common knowledge that he is not a believer in wholesale changes. You're not going to necessarily throw out the playbook after week four, but there are also ways to, that coaches can adjust things mid season without throwing out the playbook. That's kind of the hyperbolic option. There are other ways to schematically highlight or show different things. But anyways, I asked Kirk Ferentz, what can be done to realistically right the ship? And he said, there's no magic answers. And he really, throughout the day on Tuesday, emphasized staying the course. So when you're staying the course, you're not necessarily going to see a leap from abysmal getting shut out to all of a sudden scoring Palooza here where they're dropping 50 on somebody. That just is unlikely to happen. There are probably many cases of a team having significant scoring changes if you go back into history, but that's just not likely to see all of a sudden a real drastic shift. But it does help that Iowa is facing a much different level of competition this week and frankly for the rest of the season than they were last week. And that's a great segue into this next question. Is this coming weekend going to be as painful as last weekend was? It sure shouldn't be. When you look at this Michigan State team that's gone through a lot of adversity, two and two, with two losses being against the two Power Five teams that they've played. Mel Tucker is officially gone, officially fired. Harlan Barnett as acting or interim head coach. And the two losses against Power Five opponents were both really ugly. So this should be a team that Iowa should be able to beat fairly well. Now, I say should because there's no guarantee, especially after just how ugly things were last weekend. But this is a very much a beatable team, very much a team that you can look good against versus a team like Penn State, you need absolutely everything to go right to beat them. And instead, you saw absolutely everything go wrong. Well, pretty close to everything go wrong. Then a question without Kirk Ferentz leaving, do I see any scenario where Brian Ferentz does not continue to be offensive coordinator? I'd say technically possible but probably not likely. One of the possible routes would have been if Brian Ferentz could have gotten an NFL job. But the issue is when you look at even with Kirk Ferentz's connections, when you look at what Brian Ferentz's offenses have done, I don't know how many NFL teams are clamoring for that. Of course, Kirk does have a lot of NFL connections, so that could go a long ways. Obviously, the big thing here is the drive to 325. If he doesn't hit 25 points per game, his contract terminates. I'm a to reemphasize here that the contract terminates. It does not necessarily mean that the University of Iowa cannot employ him in 2024. So that is a distinction. I think that will be a tough decision for Beth Getz. So it really does go down to Beth Getz, whether there is any scenario, is she willing to do what Gary Bardo is not willing to do? And that's going to be something. It's hard to picture this Iowa offense getting to 25 points per game. So that is something that she's going to have to decide at the end of the season, unless of course, Kirk were to retire. Obviously, we'll continue to watch the drive to 325, and this is an opportunity potentially to get back up over 25, but it's a tough thing to sustain just based on what we've seen so far. It's, I should say it's easy for a lot of teams, but it's tough for where Iowa is right now to get up to that point. And then a question about um, the effectiveness and efficiency of off season evaluations. And I'm assuming this is referring to back in December of last year, when Kirk Ferentz promised a comprehensive study following last year's disappointing season, I would say the thing I would keep in mind is he also said in that press conference, I didn't think anything is broken. I think it sometimes is a matter of, well, evaluations are always in the eye of the beholder. Kirk Ferentz is not necessarily the most statistically driven guy. Obviously, when you have an offense that consistently ranks as low as they have ranked year after year. So that's the big thing in terms of these year-to-year off-season evaluations. I think a lot was made out about this past off season's thorough evaluation, but he also said that they do a in-depth review after every season. Granted, he did say that this one would be quote, a little bit more thorough and a little bit more detailed. Now, obviously you're not seeing the results. Then a question about Caleb Brown, the Ohio State wide receiver. Is he healthy? Why hasn't he been active in the offense? thought he came as a transfer with great credentials. So, yes, he is healthy. We have not seen him on any injury reports. He has been on the field, just not much. Ironically, actually, the most that we've heard his name is when visiting press box PA people are announcing who's on the punt return. And sometimes they will say Caleb Brown by accident instead of Cooper DeGene. They both have number three. That's ironically been how we've heard caleb brown's name the most why he hasn't been active i think that's an excellent question especially when you look at what his credentials have been as a highly touted recruit obviously ohio state they get their pick of the draw when it comes to wide receivers so very good question there as much as i would love to get to more questions unfortunately out of time this week until next week we will talk talks later